financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, joined here by my usual co-host, Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And uh, this episode, we will be having as our guest, Associated Press reporter John Warrow. Uh, so we are able to talk pretty much anything about Buffalo sports. Um, I think that the floor is open. What is the topic of the day? Well, it's got to be the Bills. Yeah. I stopped myself before I even got started. We're not going to, it's <laughs> not going to be Sabres. It's not going to be Bonaventure over UB. It's not going to be Canisius or Niagara basketball. So let's just uh, jump right into it. I think well, that. Can you guys most... catch me up? Who are the Bills playing this week? They, yeah, the Patriots. <laughs> they, they, they Patriots the second. On Monday I'm night. Looking at my schedule. You're right. Yep, that's right here. What do we think uh, about this game? I am fresh off of the studio, uh, Channel 4, uh, doing its Buffalo Kickoff Live Sunday morning show, in which uh, I was the only member of the six-person panel to pick the Bills to win this game straight up. That's, that's not talking about the spread, which is three, by the way. The uh, over-under is uh, right now 45. Uh, and given the weather, the under looks pretty good. We'll, we'll get Joel Staniszewski's picks a little bit later on. But um, I got a text from Jerry Sullivan uh, thanking me for at least being uh, someone to pick the Patriots. Not that I don't think that he necessarily thinks that the Bills uh, are going to lose the game, but one out of six people picking, uh, picking for the team that has won six in a row and is in first place, and if this game – if you want to uh, honor the time-worn tradition of the home team getting three points on the spread uh, would be uh, uh, a pick em game on a neutral surface. What do we think? Uh, let's, let's open it up to our uh, – oh, go ahead, Jonah. I just want to say, just to clarify, you're saying five out of six homers are picking the Bills to win this? I said five out of the six people on the show oh. pick the Bills to win the game. I, I think the weather could potentially play a huge factor depending on uh, if we get this snow and then all everything's really out, out, out the window because I think that that would that might actually benefit the Bills. But I have little confidence of the Bills going into this game. I just think that they are a shell of a team that we saw from a year ago. Um, I think they're, they're very good at talking a good, good game, but I think there are underlying worries that you can almost sense they know they're not playing well um you can you can hear it from 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 their work from what they say in, in their press conferences like when their availabilities on this past week they know they're not playing well and i don't know if they know how to turn uh, turn that switch back on again well those are some pretty big words there uh, john what 
what if you can maybe take us a little deeper in that? Yes, you're reading the tea leaves as somebody who's covered this team and covered sports for 30 years. Um, but what is it if you can maybe give an example or an anecdote regarding what's giving you this feeling? Yeah, I mean, Deion Dawkins, you know, talked about how the target has been on their back this year and they haven't they haven't managed it well. I asked him specifically, I mean, how have you managed that target on your back? And he acknowledged that they have been inconsistent and they have not played up to their standard. Um, and, you know, you kind of saw it back in week one um, in that loss to Pittsburgh, which kind of rattled them. Um, sure, they came came away and won four straight, but against, okay, they beat Kansas City, but Kansas City was struggling at the time. But I just don't, I, I just don't see this team finding that groove that it was in a year ago. And it's going to, it's going to have to play essentially mistake free against a Patriots team that might not be all that as it was under Brady, but plays exceptionally efficient football. And I haven't seen the bills string together four quarters against a good team um, for much of this season. So why would they start now? Yeah, that's a great point. You just said four quarters. Uh, there have been wins in which they didn't necessarily look all that great. And, and that's going back to uh, the Miami game uh, after the bye. Uh, you're right. Uh, there have been some, some halves that you get to the intermission and you're thinking, man, these guys, uh, they, better, they better kick it up a notch if they, if, they want to, uh, if they want to be the Buffalo Bills that everybody expects them to be. Yeah, I mean, why, why would they start now? I mean, there's been a sense of urgency since that loss to Tennessee in which we heard, oh, well, you know, we've bounced back from difficult losses like this before, referring, you know, going back to that Arizona game. But they haven't done so. They haven't proven it over a, a week-to-week stretch. Uh, so I, I have little confidence of this team going into this game. Well, one thing uh, that I think is uh, important to note is they are getting some important players back. Uh, Spencer Brown, number one, uh, probably, well, I don't want to say probably, but it, p- perhaps John Feliciano can be activated off of the COVID list uh, in time to play for this uh, game. Uh, Feliciano's which, not a, he's on IR. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yep. You're right. You're right. He's on injured reserve with the calf. Um, sorry about that. No problem. Um, the, um, so you have an infusion of, of talent. Uh, you have Tremaine Edmonds back in the lineup. Star Latule, maybe uh, if he and and let's say even if he does go, that he is not showing any ill effects of of COVID. Uh, so there's all kinds of you know things that the Bills have been uh, that have that have underscored or at least uh, fueled this Bills inconsistency. Dawson Knox being back as they get this assembly of players back, maybe that is what helps them find their groove more than any kind of psychological. Um, adjustment that they need to make, but they have not won consecutive games since Kansas city. Um, Meanwhile, the Patriots have recalibrated themselves as a team that resembles what Tom Brady was playing with when he was young, Uh, predicated on the run Uh, guys like Corey Dillon. And, you know, you can go back, back to those years when you were, you were naming running backs before you were naming wide receivers on the most important uh, Patriots offensive uh, weapons, uh, the defense that's led by guys like Ty Law and Teddy Bruschi and, uh, you know, those, those guys. Um, 
so anyways, uh, this is a totally different team. It's a big safety net for Mac Jones to help him along. He doesn't need to win the games like Josh Allen needs to win the games. Uh, we also can look back when we talk about the weather. Uh, the Bills struggled against the Colts, a, a dome team uh, in bad weather uh, most recently. So I don't know, Joan, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll bring you in here about what your general thoughts are uh, heading into this Monday night game uh, with uh, – with the the big bad Patriots in first place again against everybody's expectation. My my general thoughts is that the Bills should win this game, should be favored to win this game. They're one of the better teams in the league, maybe, you know, five or six best teams in the league, Super Bowl contenders. They're playing at home on Monday night against a rookie quarterback. I don't think it's going to be an easy win, but um, I'm not surprised that people are picking the Bills to win and that there is an expectation that the Bills should win this game. It's of the two games against the Patriots, it's the game they need to win, I believe. And at the same time, I don't think these are the big, bad Patriots. They are playing well uh, and have won, I think, six in a row. And Bill Belichick's a great coach. And they're also one of the top teams in the league. But it's not the juggernaut that it was with Tom Brady and, you know, different players over the years. And it's not – it shouldn't be the same emotional, psychological feeling for the Bills or the Bills fans playing the Patriots in this game. It's, it's, they it's not are- just another game. But it's, it's a similar game to the games they've already played against good teams. They need to play well. They need to be physical. They need these players coming back on both lines to make a difference in the physicality up front. And if they don't do that, they're going to lose just like they could lose anybody else. And if they do do that, I think they win just like they could beat a lot of other teams. The Patriots do have the uh, least scored upon defense in the NFL, which is something that the Bills have been proud to claim uh, up until recently. And I think that there are a lot of Bills fans out there that assume that's still the case. But you take a look at the stats and the Patriots are giving up uh, what a point or a, a half a point or three quarters of a point fewer. Uh, so they've edged the Bills out in that category. Um, and not a lot of point in the second half in three straight games. No, well, that's pretty damn impressive. Um, well, let, uh, let's stay on this. Well, and what, maybe one more point, because I don't know if either of you guys you brought up. I think the biggest issue is. Tredavious White not playing and the Bills not yeah. having Tredavious White for the rest of the season. And you would think against Bill Belichick, and it's not a position where the Bills have a lot of depth. You're kind of worried about, concerned about whether Dane Jackson and the backup cornerbacks can fill into that spot. You would think Bill Belichick takes advantage of that, and it's a big weakness for the Bills in this game. I think with the way the Bills scheme and zone coverages, they might be able to account for that specific deficiency, but it might open up vulnerabilities that the Patriots take advantage of elsewhere. So watching that, how that plays out the first full game, the bills are playing without Trey white is what I'll be watching most. Intense. I think the biggest, I, I think Tredavious white white's loss is a big blow, but I'm not sure how much it affects them against a running team like new England. And, and with Matt Jones being asked not to really go deep all that, all that often, I think we're going to see the effects of Tredavious white's absence next week when they face Tom Brady. Um, but you know, it's a huge loss, but I'm not sure how, how big of an effect it's going to have tonight or sorry, Monday night. What do we think about this weather? Uh, you know, (laughs) you might want to factor the, the kicking into this quite a bit. Um, Nick Folk uh, versus Tyler Bass. I mean, some of those situations might be off the table. If you're talking about a field goal, that's over X number of yards, you know, obviously they're going to gauge that during the pregame warmups, but these gusts of winds are supposed to be upwards of 50 or, or whatever. Um, 
you know, I guess uh, put some rocks in your pockets if you're going to be sitting out in the stands <laughs> so you don't blow away. But um, Josh Allen has shown that he does struggle in the, in the bad weather. Um, he was drafted because, as we've all heard, with the big hands and he can uh, play, he's used to it, uh, having come out of Wyoming. And, uh, and meanwhile, the Colts were the better uh, bad weather team because they have that running attack, because they have that solid offensive line. Two things that the Patriots have also. Yeah. I, um, I also, I'm curious to see what happens if those gusts do come, um, you know, are apparent tomorrow night uh, and, and wonder if the Patriots or the Bills win the coin toss and don't defer. Um, I'm curious to see what might happen there um, because I know Belichick's been known to actually not defer in bad weather games. And we all know that kicking into the West end of the, uh, of the stadium is going to be an issue is, is, and, and you don't want to be going that way in the fourth quarter. So I'm curious to see how much that might play into it because I'm not a big coin toss guy as people who follow me on Twitter go, but I think tomorrow it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what might happen. That's something the bills didn't do against the Colts. And right. that was a game where the weather got worse as the game went along. And, and Sean McDermott was asked about that afterwards. And he said, they did think about maybe flipping that decision but they didn't do that. What else about this game? Because I, I, I want to bring up a couple of points about the remaining schedules for each team, and I don't want to move uh, too far ahead without getting out of this game and, and maybe handicapping it a little bit. Um, what else stands out uh, with you guys? We, we've touched on Mac Jones, uh, you know, Dane Jackson in that role for Tredavious White. Uh, I guess I just want to point out that uh, Dane Jackson did step up in both of his starts last year. He only played five games. He started two of them. Uh, the first game against the Jets, he gets his first career interception. Uh, and then against Arizona, a game that the Bills should have won, uh, he has eight tackles, uh, a bunch of pass breakups. I want to say it was three or four. Uh, and a forced fumble. And a fumble recovery. Late. A recovery, and, sorry. And one, of the, and one of the breakups was in the end zone, uh, as you may recall. Um, so Dane Jackson has played well under pressure, you know, when he's thrown into the crucible, so to speak. Um, and as, as you guys already pointed out, this is a, a team that'll run, but I'm guessing that Bill Belichick is going to dial up a couple of things, uh, for Dane Jackson to put him on the spot. Um, uh, and, um, and Levi Wallace too, because everything's going to be a little switch and yeah. Levi Wallace is going to be on the best, uh, option on most plays. Uh, and, uh, anyways, uh, I do think that that's, uh, that's something where the bills having the number one safety tandem in the NFL Helping out those guys is going to be critical. Uh, Taron Johnson, uh, one of the better slot cornerbacks in the NFL also, that really helps them settle things quite a bit. But um, I'm just trying to go over my head as to some of the matchup things. Uh, oh, Matt Judon. Let's talk about him. Matt Judon, 11 and a half sacks against the Bills offensive line that even if they do get players back is still in flux. And everybody talks about your offensive line and the chemistry that's needed. Um, let's say they even do get John Feliciano back. Let's say, uh, you know, that, uh, Spencer Brown comes back in there and, and you could move Daryl Williams back to right guard, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these are guys that, uh, aren't necessarily used to playing together. Uh, Deion Dawkins has been pedestrian. Uh, and now you have Matt Judon with his 11 and a half sacks, uh, coming in here. What your thoughts on, on the offensive line, um, for this matchup, either of well, them. I mean 
you can't forget, you know, Van Noy and Duggar. And I, I don't know if Duggar's going to play, but I mean, these guys, I mean, they've got JC Jackson, who like has seven interceptions. One of the most um, underrated players in the NFL is JC yeah. Jackson. I, I agree, and I, I see this defense as being exceptionally solid, and the way they've been playing lights out over this six-game stretch and getting better. You know, mind you, you know they shut out Atlanta, but you know the Bills had their share of shutouts. But I, I, I don't see how the Bills, the Bills have struggled with this running game. Breida has actually provided this new dimension to them. But I just, again, it, it goes back to what's been the problem all season long, and it's an inability to consistently run the ball, which the Bills need to do, um, and they haven't done it. So, again, I just go back to why, you know, how do they fix this now when they haven't been able to do so all season long? Um, And before we just move on, uh, shameless plug, I've got a piece that just moved um, as we're taping this on Dane Jackson, and there's there's a really cool story about him, um, which we can get into, but I, 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 you know, we, we can talk about that later. Let's get into it. You just teased it. What's the, what's the oh, story? Well, uh, this guy had a difficult upbringing growing up in the Greenway projects in the west side or the west end of, of Pittsburgh. Um, tough upbringing. Um, four of his childhood friends um, died over the course of a four-year span. Um, three of them died by gunshot. One died uh, in a car accident in which he was being chased by the police. This is something that Dane Jackson could have grown up in had he chose a different path. Um, So when you really ask him about the pressures that he faces in replacing Tredavious White, he leans on, you know, just the emotional pain that he had to grow up with. Um, These guys died in his formative years over over the course of his senior year, year in high school to his junior year at Pitt. Um, that can't be easy to overcome. And he keeps them close in mind while also remembering how he could have been that type of a statistic as well had he not followed his the strength and advice that his mom instilled in him. So, and we see that he's another one of those reclamation projects, I guess, that the Bills seem to like in the sense that he's a seventh-round pick who didn't get a lot of hype playing at Pitt and yet he steps up when needed, as you as you mentioned. You know, he, he, that was a key pick against Sam Darnold in in the late in the first half of that eighteen to ten win against the Jets, in which you know he got the interception. It led to a field goal, cut the lead to ten to ten to six. But I think there is something more to Dane Jackson that I don't think I'm, I'm not sure. We'll find out how much the Bills you know Mr. Davis White. It's it's difficult to replace him, but I like. W- as difficult as it was, I like just the development of Dane Jackson and, and how he appreciates where he came from and what this opportunity means to him. And I, it, it's a story that, you know, if you get a chance to read it, uh, please do. How did you find him in discussing this, John? Well, he brought it up um, on Friday um, during his um, news conference in which I, uh, he, he mentioned adversity that he had to deal with. And I just simply asked him what, you know, can you share us what this adversity was growing up? And he immediately said, I lost four good friends, childhood friends, back to back to back to back years. Um, Later on, um, Jay Skursky of the Buffalo News and I took Dane aside and we both got into more details as to what the background was. Um, And this is, 
this is essentially, you know, what we got out of the interview um, and his um, his availability. So I wrote the story and it moved today as uh, part of our pre-Monday night feature. All right. Go ahead, Jonah. You know, I didn't have anything to add on Dane Jackson. I, oh, you I, know, thought, but I, I did want to circle back. John asked a question about the Bills offensive line and whether the Bills can answer and improve in that area. And I think the answer to that is yes. I don't know if they will. But if you go back to last year, having John Feliciano out and then coming back, that made a difference in the way the Bills offensive line and the Bills as a whole played. He seems to have a leadership and an uplifting effect when he's on the field. And Spencer Brown coming into the lineup earlier this season made a difference. The Bills were blocking and playing better with him than they have without him. I don't know if these guys coming off their injuries and their illnesses, go Star Latulia into that boat as well, will be at their best and difference makers tomorrow night. But on paper, you could say that getting three of their most important linemen back on both sides of the ball could solve what has really been the biggest issue with the Bills, their physicality up front. And that, I don't know if it solves it completely, but I think you're going to see a better version of the Bills in the coming weeks and potentially tomorrow night. Well, the coming weeks uh, are not uh, favorable for the Bills in in relative uh, terms. Uh, I'm talking about uh, when you're looking at uh, the remaining schedules for both the Bills and the Patriots. Uh, They play each other twice, of course. They play Monday night, and then they play the day after Christmas. Uh, But you remove those games uh, from the remaining remaining schedule, and the Patriots have a bye, so they haven't had theirs yet. They will play the Colts uh, in Indianapolis. They're at home against Jacksonville, and then they have the Dolphins. Those opponents are a combined 13 and 22. That's a 371 win percentage. The Bills have some easy marks on the, their remaining schedule too, but they don't get a week off. They play at the Buccaneers next week, and then they're at home against Carolina, Atlanta, and the Jets. Those four teams, not counting the Patriots again, are 21 and 24 for a 467 win percentage. So the Bills have more games against tougher competition. So even if they're able to win this game or split uh, against the Patriots, I, I think it makes it difficult for them to win the division. I should say not difficult to win the division. It'll be, it, it'll be, it'll be a challenge. Um, if, if they don't sweep the Patriots, I don't know if yep. you guys agree with that, uh, but uh, I, I guess I just want to throw that out there for consumption or discussion. The tiebreakers all go against Buffalo. I mean, just the tiebreakers, the strength, the strength of schedule, the head-to-head matchups. Um, they need they need to beat the sweep the Patriots in uh, to win this division and guarantee themselves a playoff spot. Because I'm not sure the AFC West could have three teams, you know, going into the playoffs at this point. Uh, one problem, though, just one little little kernel of a problem with for the Patriots is that loss to the Jets because one of the tiebreakers being the division. So if the Bills can do well in the division and the Patriots have that one extra loss, uh, but the Bills uh, obviously still have, uh, they have the Jets too. In the last game of the year, which you may say, ha ha, well, there's an easy win there. Well, that means the Bills may not have the opportunity or the luxury to rest their starters. If they go into that game, knowing that they have to beat the Jets because of that tiebreaker, then you're getting uh, you're you're getting uh, your your guys exposed uh, that week before the the playoffs begin, rather than have a chance to rest them. Just one little, good, little wrinkle. Good. We still got still got a month to go, but one thing to think about. I just say because I hate those games. I hate the last week of the season when teams rest their guys and especially having to cover them. 
Well, I mean, and, and that's and that that really is the difference between last year and what we've seen from this team this year. Um, you know, I go back to that Miami game to end the season in which nothing was on the line. And this team came out with its, you know, its starters just went lights out in the first half and its backups went lights out in the second half. And that showed the confidence that of, of the Bills juggernaut. I always reflect back to that game, knowing that that really put them in position, though, to, to make a deep playoff run. I have not seen that type of game, you know, from, from this team this season. You know, sure, it, it may come down to, the, to, to beating the Jets in the finale, but it's, it's looking back to that game and knowing what they were building towards and not seeing the, the same thing, the same thing again, mind you, we have breaking news here. Um, the, uh, the, one of the uh, bills, next opponents, the Panthers just have just parted ways with um, offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. So put that into your cap for a couple, couple of weeks down the road. Wow. Breaking news. When people finally listen to this podcast three hours from now, as we're taping, let's just let's just pretend that john war was the first to have that no adam Schefter was and just everybody understand (laughs) that this is being recorded but uh, (laughs) anyways john uh john uh bringing the the goods there um we should run a crawl for the video so people know that the panthers fire their offensive coordinator right that'll be an alert um but yeah that's a wrinkle to consider you know they have cam newton uh, anyways, I don't think the Bills should have trouble, but Carolina's beaten some teams this year. They are not the Jets or the Dolphins, uh, so to speak. Uh, they are a little tougher uh, than what uh, the Patriots have uh, on the remainder of that schedule. Not um, having McCaffrey though is 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 a, is a big thing given what this oh, you know what sure. what what running running backs have done to this defense. Wait, wait! Breaking news: National Grid is closely monitoring a forecast for high winds and wintry mix of precipitation beginning tonight. Oh, well, that, see, now, now that's relevant. That, that, that can hold up for three hours. I would my advice for anybody this weekend. Uh, well, we're, we're now recording this on Sunday, but for the rest of today or Monday, don't rake. Uh, you'll just let your leaves end up somewhere down the street because you're going to be raking a different set of leaves uh, in the next 48 hours. So don't rake today. Don't waste your time. Uh, just continue to listen to Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants. Hey, uh, while we're at it, while we're talking about uh, sponsors of Tim Graham and friends, uh, let me thank Amherst pizza and Alehouse for being a sponsor of the show. Um, and with the wind and uh, the, the bad weather that national grid is monitoring, according to Jonah Bronstein's breaking alerts, uh, probably a good idea to uh, just throw on a, a fleece and uh, nothing more. Well, you want some pants <laughs> to go to Amherst pizza and ale house at 55 cross point parkway in Getzville to watch the bills game. Uh, you know, I guess I'm not even allowed to mention I, when I'm talking about an ad, I have to be careful. I have to say to watch the big game and, and, and stuff like that. I, I'm not supposed to mention a trademarked stuff in an ad. I don't want to get Amherst pizza and ale house in trouble, but uh, watch the big uh, game on Monday night uh, at Amherst Pizza and Ale House. Again, 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off Miller's Point Highway in the 990. Uh, they have a ton of TVs. You want to go in there. You want to watch uh, your hockey games. Your They have ESPN Plus, by the way. Uh, so you can watch all of the hockey games, unlike at some establishments. 
Uh, you can watch your college and pro football games. Uh, a lot of energy in there, as I always like to say. It's a great spot. They got all the uh, draft beers on tap, uh, this exotic stuff, uh, whether you're uh, into that or you're a guy like me who will drink his uh, Coors Light uh, like a, like a grown-up. Um, it's where Jonah and I go to watch the games and we're done covering them on Sunday. Uh, we try to get John Ward to go, but it's too far away for him. Um, maybe we'll have to corral him in on one of these. Hey, maybe, maybe tonight. If you guys don't have to be up early in the morning, maybe we should get together tonight. It's possible. Uh, stop there. in or call for takeout and delivery. 716-625-7100. Uh, Amherst Pizza and Alehouse. Again, that number for takeout or delivery. 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Alehouse. As uh, thank you uh, once again for sponsoring uh, Tim Graham and friends uh, guys uh, transition uh, after that ad read that stunning ad read. I'm getting better at this, but I'm still terrible. Um, the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Amherst pizza and Alhouse has been uh, running a special since it opened uh, back in the days when Drury and Briere were on the team and it looked like it might be possible, you know, uh, they were offering uh, heavy discounts on pizzas and draft beer pitchers. Uh, I guess that's redundant because you're not going to pour a bunch of bottles of beer into a pitcher. Uh, so. Uh, Wait, I asked for that at the bar the other night. You did, I just remember. <laughs> uh, pitchers, pitchers and pizzas are heavily discounted during Sabres games until they win the cup. Uh, so. Hold With on, let me stop you mind, real quick. So you can say Sabres in the ad read. That trademark isn't valuable. I am now off the ad read. I'm that. off oh, the okay. ad read. I am now just talking about a business that has – this is not – I'm not advertising at this point. I'm just mentioning that this <laughs> poor – big hockey game. This poor bastard who owns the Amherst Pizza <laughs> has been taking hits uh, ever since he opened on Sabres game nights. Um The Sabres goaltending situation, let me just open it up there. Is it a dereliction of duty that the Sabres actually have a team that scores goals? They're fun to watch from a goal-scoring standpoint, and yet they didn't invest in goaltending. And had they invested in goaltending, would we be looking at a playoff team? I'll open the floor to the two guys who cover the Sabres. Jonah's covered the Sabres more often than I have, so uh, you go. Well, to answer that question, maybe, John, because you cover the league in the offseason more. Were there goaltenders that they could have invested in that would have made a difference? I, I got the impression that there weren't a lot of options unless they wanted to make a wild and crazy trade. Yeah, I mean, yes, there was. Linus Allmark. I mean, this is this oh, is a guy that they yeah. this is this is a guy that they vowed they were they they did not trade him at the trade deadline. Were comfortable with believing they could get him re-signed um, before he um, you know went into free agency. Um, and evidently just missed the mark, just completely missed the mark. They did not get anything in return for him when they could have traded him at the trade deadline. And what changed between, between you know, March or I believe it was April and um, whenever the free agency opened in July, um, what changed there was um, an, an overestimation on, the, on behalf of Kevin Adams. Um, he needed to lock that thing down sooner than later. And when Linus left in free agency, that left the gaping hole in net. Sure, they're looking ahead to the guys they have in the system, but these are 
prospects they have in the system that still have yet to prove themselves at the NHL level. I'm not sure if they, I'm not sure if they'd be a playoff team with Linus Allmark and net, but they wouldn't be eight 13 and whatever. Um, at this point, they, they would be, at, they would at least be at, at closer to a 500 team given what they've gone through and given the fact that they, I mean, who are these guys? Aaron Dell, Tukarski, um, Craig Anderson, who was who essentially wanted to retire four years ago. Isn't he? Um, 40? He's, yeah, he's forty. He's forty, he's 40 <laughs> and what? And acknowledge that he was into retiring like in twenty seventeen, but he kept getting opportunities. Um, to think and that you Craig know that Levy saying right. Once you think right. you're retired, you're retired. But so he's right. been retired well, for four years. Uh, that's, Go ahead. Craig Anderson wasn't. I was going to say the 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 Sabers were getting good goaltending yep. earlier in the season from Craig Anderson and Dustin Tokarski at times. He as the number two goalie, he seemed to be pretty capable in that role. It was when Craig Anderson went out of the lineup with old age, apparently, or whatever he's dealing <laughs> with, and, and uncertain if he'll come back. And Dustin Tokarski now out of the lineup with uh, he's on the COVID list. It, it's you're right. The Sabers haven't had good goaltending, but when they were playing well earlier in the season, they were getting good goaltending. But I think John makes a great point that I had forgotten about, that maybe they had the right goaltender here and they let him get away. And that's, I guess, an error in judgment. I would ask John or, or somebody who follows the prospect a little more closely about Uka Pekalukanen. Is it concerning that he's not yet ready or is this part of the timeline that, that everybody thought was normal for him? From what I gather, they want Uka Pekalukanen, which is, which is fun to say, difficult to write. I, 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 I always worry when I have to cover an Uka Pekalukanen game, but because I'm going to misspell that with, with all that, but, but then again, Waro's not easy to spell either. So uh, this Levi guy, I'm sorry, I, I, I've forgotten. Uh, um, he play, he's still in college, I believe. Um, can somebody look him up? The, he, they got them in a trade. Um, I can't remember where, but he seems to be there. He, he's now become their top goaltending prospect. And I believe so. And he's at Northeastern. Uh, I didn't realize. But but he is now considered has moved ahead of of Uka Pekalukanen in in, in the order. And he's still two years away from being, you know, really being in the staff, you know, getting to this point, getting being an NHL ready goalie. You know, they want to be careful in, 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 in grooming Uka, but at this point, why not, you know, they're, they're afraid to bring him up, but they're going to have to because he's just going to, it's going to, his development is going to suffer at the NHL level. But what they're afraid of seems to be an indication. The fact that they're afraid of bringing him up and want him to develop at the NHL level seems to be an indication. They have little confidence in Uka. Devin Levi played in the most recent world junior classic yes. and is less than half of the age of Craig Anderson to show where he is in his development. I don't know what you do, but, but, the, but, but the goaltending, everybody's talking about, everybody's going after the Sabres young defensive core and Darlene's not doing this. Yokoharu's not doing this. Uh, a goaltender cleans up a lot of those, a good goaltender, an adequate goaltender cleans up a lot of those mistakes. Um, and we don't have, and the Sabres don't have adequate goaltending right now. Um, yes, I think Darlene's struggling. I think he's struggling with his confidence. Um, he's not becoming the player that everybody thought him to be as the number one pick. 
but I still, he's still young. We have to remember, he's, I think he's still 21. Um, but the fact that they failed to address goaltending is causing a lot of these problems. And I think pushing back the Sabres timeline as to when they can be competitors. Do you think that the Sabres, and I guess I should just say Kevin Adams and uh, everybody else who uh, makes decisions there, Terry Pagula included, do you think they underestimated how good they'd be without Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt? that they just assumed they weren't going to be as good because if you were going to be this good offensively, therefore you would have done more with your goaltending. I, I, I actually think they just completely, they were writing off this season for whatever reason, um, to Granado's credit, you know, yeah. <laughs> expect because, I mean, because they're, they're used to being losers too. But you're right, and and this is part to to Granado's credit, he's not giving up on this team, and he's getting a lot out of this. Well, nor team. should he. He can't. I mean, that's right. his job as a coach, or else he's going to be out of here quickly, like each of his predecessors. But we saw it through the last half of last season that there was, and even Kevin Adams has noted that he likes what this group um, brings um, off on and off the ice. The fact that he failed to address the goalie situation. Um, just it, it befuddles me. And it, it seemed that they wanted, they wanted to take their lumps without maybe shoring. Brandon Bean would not have done this in 2017 or 2018. Um, and, and this, this is where the Sabres fell short. I think goaltending is where I have to realize, I have to admit that goaltending is where the Sabres fell short in looking ahead to this season. What about the rest of the team? We've kind of hit on a bunch of the other guys. Uh, you know, you mentioned Darlene, and yes, he's only 21. They were showing a graphic on the game Saturday night regarding uh, the, the scorers, the top scorers out of his draft class. And I don't know if it was five or six of them, but he was the only defenseman. I think he was third. So from that standpoint, looks great. But those giveaways uh, at the blue line or on the power play, uh, giving up shorthanded goals and falling down and he's, he hasn't looked great. Um, He was supposed to be the, the thing that helped you get from, okay, we didn't get Connor McDavid to, but we have Jack Eichel and Rasmus Dahlin, and that's just as good as one Connor McDavid. I don't know, but I think that was the hope for Bills, uh, for Sabres fans. And now Eichel's gone and Dahlin is maybe not looking like the sure thing that everybody thought he was. And he also gets a lot of the attention. Jack Eichel's gone. Somebody has to take the, the ire of the Bills fans, when Sabres fans, I'm sorry, when they shoot those laser beams out of their eyes, it's something. Um, it's it's good, now been diverted from Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart to uh, Rasmus Dahlin. I don't know if he now becomes the, or has become uh, the cause for, for everything that's wrong. And, and if we get rid of him, that's the quick fix because everybody's always looking for that silver bullet. I agree. Um, and, and, and there's always one power to look forward to, but um, you know, let's, let's see what he does, but I, I just think there, there needs to be a little bit more patience. Um, Darlene is not playing up to what the expectations were at all. They were high, but he has, he has become, you're right. He has become the face of the franchise minus 
Eichel and everybody else that's not here. Um, and fairly or unfairly, he's become the target of a lot of the criticism while he's trying to play 25, 26 minutes and taking over Rasmus um, Ristolainen's role. Um, and I think we're actually finding out how valuable Rasmus Ristolainen was to this team and how he could, and, and, and he, be, he actually attracted very much similar ire um, from Sabres right. fans because, because, you know, once you get to that 28th minute, you know, you're on the ice for more, you know, on a team like this, you're on the ice and, and your, your mistakes become glaring. There's, while all you're getting tired. Of, there's all of a sudden a void of whom to blame on this yeah. team because all the, all the whipping boys got shipped out. Uh, and now poor Rasmus Dahlin is kind of got to take it, even though he's only right. 21. Well, but also he, I mean, he deserves it in some ways. The last game I covered, sure. he turned the puck over in the first 30 seconds of consecutive power plays and gave up goals. They scored shorthanded goals on the first shift right. of the penalty kill because he couldn't take care of the puck against forward. Was it that game in, or no, I'm sorry. It was the game, the first the game in Florida. Um, when he found Skinner, I want to say on a breakaway, um, with that lengthy, uh, with, with, with from his own circle, he found somebody on a breakaway, and that is the type of way that Granado wants the team to play. They want to stretch other teams' defenses, and that is what Darlene can bring. It's that playmaking ability, the ability to to find the open man, and break break down defenses, and hopefully we get to see more of that. But right now, I, I think this team also is still searching. They didn't have Middlestat. They didn't have, you know, who would have thought that two years ago, the Sabres not having Casey Middlestat was going to be that big of a deal. But I, I still have confidence in this team that it's going to find itself. And I like the, I still like the young chemistry that they have. I really like Dylan Cousins. I really, I think he's a breath, breath of fresh air from the team that, uh, from the team past and and gives them gives them a, a sign of hope um, that that things can be righted because I think Dylan Cousins is is, is going to be is showing signs of being a special player and, and more importantly a leader of this team. Yeah, that he has been a highlight um, and a slow, you know, like one of those smoldering highlights too, because there's so much to be upset about that uh, I think that people myself included, you, you fail to uh, acknowledge the good things that are happening. You know, Tage Thompson's had a really nice season too, right? Uh, I mean, he's scoring goals and uh, I don't think that he's going to become uh, the next Wayne Gretzky, but um, Hey, you know, that, that's been fun. I mean, Kyle Poso has been playing well and he's one of those guys that's been easy to root for and, and uh, everybody wants him to stay healthy. And as long as he can grind out, uh, some some quality shifts and and provide some leadership and stay healthy, uh, you know that's that's a nice thing. Uh, what are some other nice things? Skinner, Skinner. Skinner's actually scoring. Skinner, yeah, you're right. Skinner seems to be earning his paycheck again. Um, yeah, so there are some things that are nice, and even though that the Sabers do have a, uh, well, I don't want to call it lopsided because relatively speaking, it's not. But eight thirteen and one is a lot better than what Sabers fans are used to. There's still a lot to point at and be upset about when you're, you know, five games under 500, but there are still some things that seem to be moving in the right direction in some of the right places when it comes to the younger guys, just not at goaltending. Uh, I think that there, if, if there was any kind of um, idea that help was definitely coming, Uka Pekalukkanen has been, has been, 
you know, developing for a long time in Sabres <laughs> fans' books. I mean, his, he's been a name uh, that, that's, that, that people have heard about for, what, four years now, and he's still not ready to play. It's not like Ryan Miller coming out of Michigan State where it's like, fine, Ryan, stay in Michigan State. We're set here. We're, we're fine. Even, even once uh, Dominic Hasek moved on and you had Mika Norinen and Marty Baran, fine, stay down there, Hobie Baker right. winner, uh, fifth-round pick. You know, we'll get to you eventually. Uh, meanwhile, you're looking, or uh, you know, now flash forward 20 years, and they're Sabres fans are begging for some sort of uh, light at the end of the tunnel at goaltending, and it's not necessarily there. There's a flicker, there's a dim flicker, uh, but what is it? You know, is it is it a train? Is it daylight? You know, what is it? Is it somebody holding a match uh, at the end of the tunnel? I don't know, but uh, if there was any kind of reinforcement that goaltending was on its way, I think that Sabres fans would be a lot more excited about the team that they're watching now and probably willing to invest in it from a tickets, uh, ticket buying standpoint. I'll go out and watch this team lose a little bit this year because, uh, you know, we, we have something coming, but as of right now, it, it, it seems as though it's just a little, just a little bit better than what they've, they've had uh, in years past. And that's not nearly good enough. And in a way, isn't this kind of losing without tanking lane the ideal outcome for the season that you don't want to be too good that you take yourself out of the draft lottery and you pick too low in the draft and you maybe a little too much false hope about what this current roster can do that they want to be more entertaining and a team that the fans are proud of. But if they end up finishing near the bottom of the standings, even though they tried to win every game, that's probably where when the season's over, you want to be. Here's the problem I see foresee with the goaltending situation. They've punted this the situation so, you know, after each season. Now they're put in a position where which is where do they go? Do they put all their pegs on Levi and, and uh, put all put all their push all their chips on Levi and Uka Pekalukanen? Or what do they do this offseason? They can't they can't come back with Aaron Dell, Tukarski, and, 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 Pete, and, and Malcolm Subban, who's now hurt again. Um, they need a mediocre goalie, and how much is it going to cost them to sign even, you know, a, a 10-year veteran for, who's going to want term um, more than three years, perhaps, to have some guarantee in his contract? So where does that leave them? aside from having to go through the trash bin of goalies once again this offseason or start fresh with these young guys and, and, and go from there and maybe spur, like, like hurt Levi's development or find out where, you know, Uka Pekalukanen is. But they're going to have to find out sooner than later whether Uka is their goalie or can be a serviceable goalie in the future before the end of the season because they're back at square one next July. Uka Chaka, Uka Chaka, Uka Chaka. I can't stop this feeling. Stop this feeling. Deep inside of me that the Sabres <coughs> have no goaltenders. Uh, okay. I was trying but, not uh, to spell that, and then you kind of got me when you went to the second line, second refrain. <laughs> uh, what else do we want to talk about? I know this is uh, an, off, uh, an off-schedule Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. Uh, because the Bills are playing on a Monday night. We are recording this on a Sunday, which is a first, I think. Uh, I'll have to add that to the Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK Media Guide. 
uh, update. Uh, I'll have to update the stat sheet that I send out to the media afterwards. Uh, what else do we want to get at before we let uh, before we let our listeners get back to watching NFL football? Bonnie, you be basketball. We can talk to. I don't know how much you guys are up for. Yeah, bring it. Well, that, you know, yesterday, St. Bonaventure wins against UB at home. Is it uh, enough to get shot. him back into the top 25 based well, on what else has happened? I'll get into in that country. in a second. I don't know. It's a good win for St. Bonaventure. They're 7-1. and one. They lost without their starting point guard and best player, Kyle Lofton. Uh, in any other kind of normal season, or in any other season, you'd look at this as an excellent start for St. Bonaventure. 7-1. and one. Some good wins at the Charleston Classic. They're the favorite in the A-10. They're looking like a team that could be an at-large team in the NCAA tournament if they don't win the A-10 tournament. Everything's going pretty well for St. Bonaventure. If you're only looking at it in the context of are they going to be in the top 25 or not, they're still, I think, on that borderline. If you break down in the top 25, there's only five of the currently ranked teams have multiple losses. Three of those teams like Gonzaga and Villanova and Michigan state near the top have only lost against good teams. So I don't think they're going to drop out. Michigan and Memphis lost some games in the past week. I could see them falling out, but there's other teams, Colorado state, San Francisco that are undefeated, Ohio state, which got a good win, North Carolina, which beat Michigan. There's other teams that could rise into the top 25 and keep Bonner from being ranked and, you know, I don't think voters are looking at it. They don't start with where should St. Bonaventure be ranked and then fill in the teams around them. You, you might list 25 teams before you get to St. Bonaventure. I do think they're right on that cusp. They could be uh, that 25th ranked team when the poll comes out on Monday, but I think they could also be that team just outside receiving votes or the second team receiving votes like they are right now. They're 25th in the coaches poll. So they're very much on that line. And then the last thing I'd make on that point, it, some because some voters I think do – use this in their calculus. If you're looking at the statistical power rankings, they're 44th in Kempom right now, 49 in Sagarin, 77 in sports reference. They, they call it simple rating. So the data isn't really suggesting that Bonaventure is a bonafide top 25 team, but they are on that bubble. And some people, a lot of voters will have them in their top 25, but I don't know if enough will have them high enough to get them ranked. A point of order, Jonah, uh, sports reference uh, metrics, are those are those, cons- are those widely accepted or? They're less accepted because it doesn't break it down per possession. It's not as sophisticated as the Kempom ratings. And I'm not sure everything that goes into what Sagarin does, but it's a good historical measure. And at the end of the season, I like to look at it as a way of gauging how well uh, you played against, because it does factor in strength of schedule somewhat, but it's, a, it's, it's more simple. So Got especially it. with a smaller data set, it isn't quite as accurate. But the problem with the Ken Palm rankings at this point in the season is that they use a lot of the preseason rankings in the formula. And that ages out as the season goes along. But right now, uh, some of where teams are ranked is based more on what they did last year and what Ken Palm thought they were going to do and not exactly what they've done so far. I asked uh, about sports reference because I'm a subscriber to it. I'm a big fan of their work. But when it comes to their metrics, I don't necessarily hear them quoted that often. So you know, I'm, I was, I was glad to hear you mention them because it's just a simple blend of scoring margin and strength of schedule. And it's kind of the same for all sports. Uh, but I like looking at it season by season, whether it's the bills or St. Bonaventure or UB and saying whether this really good season, how does that compare to another really good season, but only seven, eight games into the season before conference play, it's a little hard to use that as a perfect measure of, of how well teams are playing. 
Where do the things with UB stand? That's a, or do you want to stay on St. Bonaventure, John, before we move? I was just going to ask you, how, how much do you, you, you've seen Bonham more than I have. How much is Lofton's injury, if it's long-term, going to affect, you know, their future, especially going into A-10 play? I think it certainly helps him. He's the preseason player of the year in the A-10. He's their point guard. He plays every minute of the game. Right. He's led the nation in minutes played, percentage of minutes played throughout his career. This was the first game he missed in his whole career. Now, they did a good job of, making up for him, especially in the overall playmaking. Jaron Holmes basically moved over to playing point guard. They started Quadri Adams, the Wake Forest transfer, who, who is a point guard, but he seemed to play more of a defender role. Didn't see him initiating the offense so much. And then they played a lot without Quadri Adams, and they had a shooter, Linton Brown, on the floor. So they sort of moved Jaron Holmes into that point guard spot, which isn't his natural position, but he did a pretty good job on that. He made the pass on the winning shot. However, toward the end of the game, you know, Bonaventure was winning by 11 and UB came right. back to tie it in the last few seconds. And UB did that with pressure, defensive pressure and getting up into the guards. And so I really think Bonaventure missed Lofton toward the end of that game. And that might manifest itself in other games against other good teams. They got UConn and Virginia Tech coming up on the schedule in weeks where I don't think Lofton will be back for either of those games. And even though they made the play at the end, Lofton was the type of player who would set the table for 30, 35 minutes, and then really take over the game uh, for Bonaventure in the closing minutes. And now they don't have him, and I think they're really going to miss him in certain ways like that. And if teams look at the UB film and say, hey, maybe we should press more often, and they, they have some trouble bringing the ball up and beating this press. And this is why I have I lean on Jonah to cover Bonaventure for the AP. When um, Just well put. Thank you. And one more thing I want to say about Bonnet. So we're looking at, especially at the AP, because we only cover them when they're top 25 ranked. So we're very much paying attention to whether they're in that top 25 or not in in the AP top 25, not the other top 25. But for a Bonnet fan, or if you're analyzing Bonnet season, where they really want to be is in like the top 35, because that's where kind of you need to be to make sure you're an at-large team and a team that can, you know, one of the better mid-majors, you're in the top 10 percentile of the 358 division one teams. If you're in that place and when the net rankings start coming out, those are a little bit more official and that's what the NCAA selection committee is going to look at. And so I think Ken Palm lines up pretty well with the net rankings, especially when that preseason adjustment gets out of the formula. So I think the fact that they're maybe outside that top 35 and a lot of the statistical rankings is a little bit more concerning than not being ranked in the top 25, but they have a lot of good games on the schedule that if they do well against better competition, I think they can bump up in the net rankings and things like that. What does a close loss at the Riley Center mean for UB, if anything? And uh, what's your, your general impressions well, on, on UB's season to date? I mean, it was a game to be had for UB because Lofton didn't play and on the road they were tied. They, they had that opportunity. But this isn't a season where UB was going to be an at-large team. So it wasn't a must-win game. They really don't need to win any non-conference games. But they do need to show well and gain some confidence and play pretty well. And I think they've done that somewhat with their schedule. They've had trouble closing out games. They, they lost the game by one point uh, against Stephen F. Austin. And they lost this game on a last-second shot by three points. Their other loss against Michigan wasn't as close, but it was close for much of the game. I mean, I still think Buffalo is one of the favorites in the MAC and can still have an excellent season and probably win 20-plus games and maybe make the NCAA tournament. But they're maybe not on that. They're definitely not going to be an at-large team. They're maybe not going to be an NIT team unless they win the regular season title and get that auto bid. 
but they're an older team. They're playing pretty well. Jonathan Williams is playing excellent. He, he brought them back with a lot of, you know, pivotal baskets down the stretch. And I, I still think even though UB isn't maybe wowing people with their record or their performance so far, they're still trending towards being a good team and having a good season. Maceo Jack has brought some more shooting, which they needed. And I think that they're looking like they're not as good as they were when they were in the top 25 a couple of years ago, but they're looking like about as good as a UB team can be expected to be uh, in most years. You're on a roll. Do you want to take us around the Metro Atlantic while we're at it? So I haven't been to, I haven't been to an Niagara game yet. And the only Canisius game I went to was against Fredonia and they won by 66, but I've been paying attention. And I was up at Niagara for the Joe Mahalik induction dinner, tribute dinner the other night and talked to a lot of Niagara people. Niagara's had some good performances early on, but then they only scored 49 points on Friday night against Monmouth. They have a good player, Marcus Hammond, one of the top players in the mag. He's been player of the week several times, a really good shooter. But I don't know if either of those teams, and Canisius is struggling. They're, they're losing a lot more than they're winning. I don't, they were both picked very near the bottom of the MAC. And I tend to think that both of those teams will be more towards the middle of the pack in the MAC, especially Niagara is an older team. But I don't think either one of them really have the juice to win the MAC. And you're definitely not going to the NCAA tournament if you don't win that ter- conference. So I think both of those teams could be entertaining to watch and win a few games in conference play, but I haven't seen much out of either one of them yet to think that uh, this is going to be a special season for either one of those teams. All right. Before we wrap it up, I got to give Joel Staniszewski's picks. He's not going to be able to join us uh, on the Wait, Zoom. One, one team, let's real quick, might be having a special season, or is having a special season. Damon Women's Volleyball is in the, I don't want to call it the Elite Eight, so what would it be called? The quarterfinals, the National Division II quarterfinals. Just call Super it the Elite Eight, eight. But because it's not people, the Elite Eight. People the know what you're talking about. Apply to every okay. They're in the quote unquote Elite. Because eight. when you talk about quarter five, you always have to stop and think. Quarter right, how many word. is that? It's in the dictionary. <laughs> the only thing I don't like about quarterfinal, I get confused. I guess it's because it's four games. Because quarter is four, but it's really eight teams. So sometimes I have to do that right equation. Quarterfinals, I guess four winners come out of that. But um, if you're in the quarterfinals of the Section 6 Class B2 bracket, are you in the Elite Eight? Well, how about this? If you want to get into semantics, it, you talk about quarterfinals. There's nothing final about it. There, you, you advance. Right, but you're breaking up the final into quarters after you've broken it up into semis. There's, there's, there's only from one the final, final four. There's only one final. Right. There's only one final four. I will acknowledge, you know, there's a women's final four, and, and maybe in college basketball you could say the Division Two final four or the JUCO final four. But there isn't a Final Four in every sport that has four teams left playing. And there isn't an Elite Eight and a Sweet 16 in every single athletic competition that exists on this planet. Mm. Mm. (laughs) I think Final Four is in the vernacular. I I don't like that uh, just because the NCAA trademarked it, they get to own it. So I can – I would say so what? I, I wouldn't I'm not trying to I'm not, I'm not doing this because the NCAA I don't take this position because the NCAA trademarked that but I do feel like in the culture and the vernacular there's the sweet six maybe it's capital sweet 16 and everything else should be lowercase sweet 16 but the NFL or not the NFL that's 14 teams. the NBA has 16 teams make the playoffs is that a sweet 16 just making the playoffs I don't care if people announce it as such it doesn't bother me yeah well it doesn't it sounds like it bothers me. It doesn't really bother me, but it's not something that I would write in my copy. Right. Well, but you can say it on a podcast. 
<laughs> I, could, I could have saved everybody five minutes by just right. The Sabres, volleyball the, the, six, the Sabres haven't made the NHL Sweet 16 in how many years? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. <laughs> All right, let me give Joel Staniszewski's picks because a couple of them are time-sensitive, and we need to post this podcast. So, Joel Staniszewski, let's uh, st- – all right, let me spit it out. Joel Staniszewski, uh, our resident handicapper, odds maker, and industry analyst, who's on a bit of a heater. Uh, he's, uh, he got off to an awful start uh, to the season, but he's been warming up, and he's, he's been hitting his Bills picks. Uh, he says, take, take the Bills and give the three points, but go under 45 because of the weather. Uh, so Bills minus three, under 45. Four o'clock game today, if you're listening here on Sunday, Take Baltimore, give three points over Pittsburgh. And in the Sunday night game, Kansas City minus eight and a half over Denver. Uh, That game is in uh, Kansas City, so uh, some uh, extra juice there perhaps. But uh, let me give them to you one more time in case you're driving and you had to pull over and find a pen. I'll give them to you in order, chronological order. At 4 o'clock Sunday, take Baltimore minus three over Pittsburgh. Sunday night, Kansas City minus eight and a half over Denver. And on Monday night, Bills minus three and take the under 45. This has been Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.